Hi everyone, it's Charlie Webster here. Welcome on to My Sporting Mind, the podcast that's all about opening the conversation around mental health, both in sport and life. Season two is proudly supported by sportinglife.com. Expert insight, passionate opinion, and in-depth analysis for the sports you love, all for free. Today, I'm super excited to welcome an absolute superstar of the tennis world to the podcast, 12-time Grand Slam winner, Jordan Wiley, MBE. Welcome along. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Your little clap there. Um, Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I can't wait to speak to you. Followed quite a bit of your career and I was around at London 2012 uh, Paralympics as well. But what's this last year been like for you? Because you've obviously had so many competitions postponed. The Paralympics was postponed. How have you coped with that constant uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, it's been difficult. I think like everyone, like everyone's struggled with so many things um and I think 2020 was supposed to be a big year for a lot of people like I know a lot of people had planned I don't know what it was about 2020 I think some people you know new jobs wedding babies whatever it was it was just the year and yeah it's been really difficult you know especially with competitions just to try and get ready for competitions to have them just push back so yeah it's not been the easiest ride but now I'm starting to understand that um that that's just the way of the world at the moment and I just have to adapt but then on the other hand, you've got this year now where it's literally full on. I was kind of going through some of your competitions and I was like, well, hang on, you've got Roland Garros, you've got Wimbledon, the British Open, Paralympics, and then you've got US Open after that as well. And you've got a little boy. So now how how are you looking ahead towards that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm just taking it one week at a time because everything is just changing all the time. And, you know, we're competing in France and they've just come out of a lockdown. And then I'm, I'm hoping, obviously, in the UK, everything's looking good for 21st of June. So I'm <laughs> like praying that um, everything will be OK for Wimbledon. Um, we still don't know like the details from Tokyo and obviously in America. So there's so many different points um, that I need to like try and think about, and it and I just can't like fathom that in my mind right now. So I'm just sort of yeah, just taking it as it comes, and I'll cross the bridges when I need to. Do you almost like decompartmentalize if that's even a word? Things where it's like I can't, you know, the way I suppose I just reeled it off was like, whoa, that's a lot. So do you? What, what's kind of your trick to making sure that you can do that so it doesn't become overwhelming? Yeah, I mean, I'm used to competing. Like, you know, in a normal year, I would compete probably 15 tournaments a year. So that's more than one a month. So my schedule is normally full on. So that part of it isn't really that daunting. But all the other stuff, I mean, it's it's a lot. But it, that it just is what it is, right? So I just, I just cope. I don't know how I do it. I just do <laughs> I love that. It is what it is. Sometimes I think it's good to say that though, isn't it? Because I think otherwise it's like, I think we can almost talk ourselves out of things. And, but I think simplifying, flying it like that's a big thing. Um, I wanted to also ask you about how you feel about the games coming up. Um, you know, you've mentioned you're still not sure, but for you, I remember you at Beijing and then at Rio. And um, you've said before about Rio that it was like, this is your phrase, like it was a really bad breakup and it took me almost a year to get over Rio. So then how do you now look back at that and look forward as in your expectation around Tokyo? Because there's that 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 one thing, you've won so many Grand Slams, but it's that one gold medal. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it definitely did feel like a bad breakup. You know, I worked so hard for four years and I broke my wrist and 
and like in 2012 I was disappointed because I was an absolute bottle job and I was so nervous and I, you know that was on me whereas in Rio I was in the shape of my life I was I was probably one of the favorites for gold I was three in the world I'd previously beaten the world number one in in the last tournaments I'd played so I was like yeah this is it I'm gonna win gold and then um, quarterfinals my wrist broke and it wasn't you know nothing that I could have done about it so it was really hard to to process and accept that mm. um and then you know for Tokyo now is I'm just a different person uh, I just don't feel like I'm that that Rio me is just like a completely different entity um I was very overwhelmed and consumed with tennis. So I, I wasn't a mum. I hadn't had a year out of it in a, a global plague <laughs> to, to sort of just do normal stuff and, and sort of self-reflect and, and work on myself as a person. So now I just feel like I'm in such a, a better place as a human that it will make me a better athlete. Mm. You know, it's something that's come up so much when I've been speaking to athletes about that they're not all consumed in their sport because it's almost like that compounds so much anxiety when everything hangs on that you just briefly touched on that can you expand about how that's changed for you and how it's helped I think it changed the moment I had my son um, and I knew that you know tennis had been my whole entire world for so many years and and now it, it effectively wasn't you know that I had this small human that I had to look after and um he was the forefront of my life and tennis had to start to take a step back and and now you know when, when I come back to sport I've gone from training five days a week um sort of 25 30 hours a week to train well three to four times a week because of childcare and then obviously COVID and everything so it's just about being adaptable and at first it was it was a little bit tricky just to find that balance between motherhood and and being an elite athlete but now I think I've got my support network around me like my mum she's just incredible um and my son's now at preschool so it's it's a lot easier to um to sort of balance the two Mm. what was it like for you coming back into competition then after your son um tennis wise great because it's been ingrained in me I didn't forget how to play tennis but fitness wise like awful because I'd gained like two stone um I didn't feel great within myself because of the weight gain I definitely wasn't fit enough um and getting the fitness back was really difficult um I'd lost like all muscle tone in my arms so and, and you know everyone else had been playing for the last two years so they were all match fit and and, and in good shape so it was really difficult actually just to get the the fitness back. The tennis was there, but the match sharpness just wasn't. Mm. How did you deal with that mentally? Um, well, to be honest, I was just like, well, I need to just eat vegetables and <laughs> just <laughs> uh, I just need yeah. to get myself back into shape, you know. Like I couldn't fit into any of my kit, I couldn't fit into my wheelchair. Um, I didn't like the photos that were being taken of me, I didn't feel good, I didn't feel healthy. And, and, you know, that's because I, I got pregnant and thought, well, I'm going to eat every cake in sight because as an athlete, you have to watch what you eat. And then I was like, oh, who cares? Like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm eating for two and I ate for five. So um, it's my own fault. But, yeah, I just just got back on it. I was just quite stern with myself. I was just like, right, I'm just going to get back on it because if I'm going to have the best chance possible for Tokyo, then I need to be in the best shape. Mm. You mentioned, you know, that then you couldn't fit in your 
your wheelchair. So maybe if I take you back a little bit for when you were growing up, because for people listening, you were born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is often referred to as brittle bone disease, like imperfect bones, I think is the literal Mm -hmm. translation. What was it like for you growing up? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I was in and out of hospital um, from birth uh, up until the age of about 12. Um, Yeah, I was breaking my leg probably at least once a year. I was having countless surgeries on top of that. And I probably couldn't walk unaided until I hit high school, sort of like year eight. So it was it was difficult because I missed out on a lot as a kid. Like I couldn't go to a lot of birthday parties, bouncy castles, um, sleepovers had to be limited to like one person. Um, so yeah, it was kind of sheltered. But when I found tennis, it was sort of a way that I could do something that I loved with people who were in similar situations to me um, and that I didn't feel like the odd one out. Hmm. did it feel very isolating at school because I know you said you've spoken about about being bullied before yeah yeah I mean I didn't have a lot of friends growing up um and I think you know early 90s um sorry late 90s early noughties disability wasn't um really normalized then it was kind of like when you got braces right it was uh, you've got you got the mick taken out of you for having braces whereas now everyone's got braces and you know it was the same being in a chair I was the only person um in a wheelchair who had any sort of disability actually in both of my schools and uh, children didn't understand why I would get what they said special treatment um when actually it was just like leaving the class five minutes early so that I didn't get caught in the rush <laughs> um yeah so it was it was tough like I didn't really enjoy school if I'm honest did you understand your disability did you did you see that how did you view it you know it's interesting when you said about that it like now it's a lot more normal but back then I think you're right things were quite different but how did you view it I've always been um I sort of treat my disability like my hair color it's something I was born with it's kind of irrelevant to me it is what it is like what I said um yeah I don't know I I it's kind of difficult to explain but like I know I have it right it's not going away it's it's not curable it's something I was born with I have to live with for the rest of my life but I can't change anything about it so in my head it's irrelevant like it's just part of me but it never ever defines me it never um, stops me from doing something that I want to do if I want to do something I will just adapt it and if I really can't do something like I don't know rock climbing then I'll probably attempt it mm. <laughs> and then and then just complain that I can't do it. So it's just, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that when I said like, I'm not really bothered about it, I just mean that I, it's kind of irrelevant for what I want to achieve in my life. Was that acceptance always there then? Because it's it, hearing you now, it's like, yep, this is me. Was that always the case? Pretty much. Like, um, I think it helps. Like my dad has the same disability. So I grew up in a household where my dad had exactly the same as what I had. He was in a chair um, as well. Obviously, when you get to your teens, everyone has that, oh, I wish I could you know, not have scars on my legs or I wish that I was a little bit taller or it's, it's I think that's just a teen thing. Like I just wanted to fit in a little bit more. Um yeah. But I mean, apart from that, I was all, always very accepting of my disability, and this is the kind. This is how I am. Um, kind of take it or leave it. 
Yeah. You mentioned your dad there because he was a Paralympian as well. So did that help you in terms of how you saw yourself to be able to go and do anything like that? Yeah, I mean, my whole life I've pretty much been surrounded by sport um, and people in wheelchairs, so they're perfect for me. Yeah, I saw my dad, you know, he got bronze and that was obviously really cool. And, you know, as a kid, I was always like, oh, we're going to beat your bronze, but you're definitely going to get better than a bronze. And now I've got two bronzes. Bronze, yeah. Um, Yeah, I still haven't beat my dad, which is is probably the most upsetting out of everything. Um, So for Tokyo, I said, I absolutely must not get another bronze (laughs) uh, because I need to beat my dad. I love that motivation. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, come on, dad. Sporting Life prides itself on being ahead of the rest by providing a rivaled analysis, opinion, debate and statistics for the sports you love. Follow Sporting Life for the best preview, stats and live horse racing and football score services. Visit sportinglife.com or download the free app for Apple and Android devices. So tell us about when you first started playing tennis then, um, because it was very, very, very young. Yeah, I was three. Um, I was out in Israel and my dad was playing, he was competing and I had broken my leg. So I was in plaster and I couldn't um, go in the swimming pool. So I was like always bored. And someone gave me like a little racket and a ball. And I just started hitting against the wall and they were feeding and I was hitting. Uh, and it turned out I was pretty good for three-year-old. Like I could actually hit the ball and everyone was like, amazed that I could do that in a chair. Literally the next day, I was like all over the news. Um, the newspapers came, TV came. I got a trophy from the tournament, which is kind of looking back. I was like, I don't really know why, but I mean, great. And then when I came home, uh, my dad just started taking me to play tennis, and then it kind of evolved from there, really. And it's it's interesting here. You say about the attention that it got, even as a three year old. How have you dealt with that attention? as you've got older but as you've got more successful because the amount of grand slams you've got is absolutely remarkable um you know you've got so many accolades you're gonna have so much more I reckon that if if I spoke to you at Christmas and hopefully a gold medal there how do you deal with it from an energy point of view an emotional point of view Mm -hmm. yeah well like I said tennis is or any sport at a higher level is consuming like it take it it takes over your life because you have to commit 100% to it and there's not much room for you know partying and drinking and um, social circles like I don't have a lot of friends now because I never made those connections when I was young Um, I dropped out of college three months into it to turn professional because I'd literally just come back from Beijing so I never went to college, never got A-levels, never did uni. And that's where a lot of people make connections, right? Yeah, so yeah. I didn't have any of that. But I was just determined to to do. I knew what I wanted out of life. Like I knew my potential. I believed in my potential. And it's something that I've always wanted. Um, so it's it's been difficult because I've missed out on a lot. But if you don't sacrifice... Um, it's kind of like that saying, isn't it? Like, um, if you want something you don't have, you have to do things that you've never done. So it's, um, yeah, I just, just get on with it. <laughs> do you think that is, that is what you have to do to achieve your level? You have to sacrifice certain things. 
Yeah, you do. And obviously, as a kid or as a young teenager, a young girl, it's it's hard. It can be hard to deal with, especially if you're very successful quite young, um, yeah. because you are in the spotlight, and you you do have to kind of watch what you do and watch what you say, and then you become a role model. And yeah, there was a time in my life where I really struggled with the pressure of tennis and the, the pressures that were put on me, probably mainly by myself, if I'm honest, um, because I am quite hard on myself because I have a high standards. Um, but also, you know, your coaching team and your federation, there's a lot of pressures that go on you because they want you to do well and they know that you can do well. Mm. And yeah, sometimes that, that can be quite difficult to deal with. Is there anything you particularly do to deal with that that you've found over the years, especially as you've become a mom or you've gone through more competitions and learned about yourself? Yeah, I think it wasn't until I had my son that I realised that there's more to life than sport. And it's a strange one because I feel like for me to get the best out of my sport, I had to take my focus away from sport. Um, when I had my son and completely fell in love with him and was a mum and did normal things and became really happy, uh, that's actually when I realised, okay, I'm only doing it at the time. I think I was only doing about 10 or 15 hours a week training, whereas my competitors were probably doing 20 to 30 hours. And yet I was beating them and I was playing really well because I was happy. Mm. And, and it's not something that, you know, before I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not playing well. I'm going to do more hours because I did more hours. I was under more pressure. I was more tired. Um, actually, when I took that time away, and that's why I think this last year has actually been pretty good, kind of a blessing in disguise because I've had all this time out. I've, I've had time to reflect. I've had family time. I've been happy. I've been able to decorate my house, like simple things. And I've come back and I'm refreshed and um, I feel good in myself and I'm playing good tennis because of it. I'm utterly convinced that this is the key. And you'd be surprised how many other people at the top, top of the game have said really similar to you. I suppose it's why I'm smiling listening to you. Do you think that shows how key psychological um, or the mind plays in things and in, in success? Yeah, absolutely. I think the mind is the most powerful tool you have and that can be negative or positive because whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right so it's it, you know before I felt like all I was thinking was negative like uh, focusing on oh, I can't do that or I didn't play good there or I should have done that whereas now I'm just focusing on okay what can I do so when I come up against an opponent I'm not too worried about their ranking how their forearms go in or what they're going to do on the day or what they might do on the day I'm like okay what am I going to do how do I play because if I play my game, that's all that should matter. Like that's that's the most important thing. Because if I play good and I feel good, probably going to win. If I'm if I'm concentrating on what they're doing all the time, it's it's all about controlling the controllables. So like I'm trying to control the weather. Like I can't control the weather. So if it rains all day and I get a six hour delay, it is what it is. Like there's, there's just no point in worrying about that. Mm-hmm. And that's all in that's all in the mind that's how you respond to those things that happen to you Mm. for for those that are listening maybe that can relate some of the things you're talking about and that have social anxiety can you talk a little about if you feel comfortable with it about what that's like for you and what it feels like and also whether the things you just mentioned there are what you use as a tool to cope with that too yeah I mean it's really difficult like 
it's um I think it's easy to listen to someone say control the controllables. Yeah, it's really difficult to do. And this, like what you're hearing now from me is a process um of years. Um I've I've worked really closely with a sports psychologist. I've been and had cognitive behavioral therapy to try and help with anxiety as well. Um, so this is a years, years, like my whole life, basically. Um, I've just been programmed, I guess, how I've been responding to things so negatively. Um, whereas now, when I had that time to work on myself, you know, over the last probably 18 months now, like really seriously, it's taken 18 months to two years to get to this point now where I really can control the controllables. I can control what I do. I can control how I feel. And then I sort of leave the responsibility of other people's emotions and other people's feelings to them. Like I need to focus on me. Um, so, I mean, for me, the defining thing, you know, two years ago was like, okay, I'm really struggling with anxiety or I'm really struggling in social circles. I'm really struggling in my tennis. I need help. And that was the, it was the defining moment where I was like, okay, I need to make a change. And as soon as I committed to that, I just felt like everything got better. Thanks so much for sharing that because I love what you said about how it takes time. Um, yeah. I've also um, worked with a clinical psychologist and it takes time. It's not just like a click of the fingers or a simple answer. Um, when you first started your therapy, did, was it was it hard almost to stick with? Sometimes did you feel like you just didn't want to go there because it can be quite mm-hmm. hard? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a commitment that you have to make and you have to be really disciplined with yourself. There were times when I thought this is pointless. It's never going to work. Uh, there were times when I didn't even want to go to sessions because I just couldn't be bothered mm. or I just didn't feel like it was working or I wasn't being really truthful when I was talking. Um, but I just had to keep reminding myself, like, what do I want? I want to achieve the best things in Tokyo I want to be happy as a person and um I want to be be myself like be my true self and um to do that I have to commit and to make a change I have to commit and do something different to what I'm doing and I think it was just holding on to that um that kind of got me through and now I'm starting to see real positive changes so now it's easy because I can really see the change and feel the change so it's easy for me to just roll in with that yeah you you smiled like massively when you said that as well it was like yes now I can actually feel it what do you think is the most important thing that you've learned about yourself um a lot (laughs) (laughs) how long have we got (laughs) you have to go pick your son up don't you so maybe maybe I'll show (laughs) on that question Um, (laughs) yeah um I probably I didn't realize how how much I take on from other people. Um, it's kind of a recent thing, actually, that I've realised how much of other people's emotions and baggage that I actually take as my personal um, emotional baggage. Um, and I kind of always knew I did it, and that's why I always felt really heavy. But it wasn't until recently where I was like, wow, I really take on a lot that is not my responsibility. Um and that's been a big change point for me. Yeah, because that must be really important when you're training or going to competition because if you feel the load of everyone else's emotions on top of you, it must feel like an absolute weight. 
it is massively like I yeah like a weight has been lifted and like I said before like if I just focus on what I'm doing when I'm on the court what am I doing what am I trying to achieve how do I do that and it's just real bringing the focus point back to me every time what's it feel like in those moments when you first go on court uh pretty nerve-wracking to be honest um I think everyone gets nervous like especially at the grand slams um no matter who the opponent is just the event and it's it's really difficult not to focus on the outcome because I find it worse where if I get an opponent that I feel like I could beat because then the anxiety levels are so high because I'm already like, okay, I should beat this person. I can't lose this person. And automatically you're like, no, like you just need to bring it back, focus on the process and then the outcome will sort out itself. So I find that bit, um, yeah, a lot more nerve wracking than maybe actually playing match. Right. Okay. Um, we spoke to Dan Evans actually in our first season of this podcast and he talked a little about a lot about going on tour as well. And at the very beginning of chatting to you, I think I listed numerous competitions that you've got coming up and they're all in different locations. He said that with the traveling and the hotel rooms, et cetera, that he can find it quite lonely at times. How do you manage that? Or do you feel the same or not? Yeah, it definitely can be lonely. Um, I think my biggest challenge is that I just missed my son. Like, it's great to have a week away because I'm like, woohoo, I can sleep in past seven. Um, but then after about, you know, after about a week, I'm like, God, I really, really miss him. Like, I really need to go home. So my impending three weeks away is going to be quite tough, I think. But yeah, it definitely can be lonely. But that's why I always um, kind of like to spend my competition time partly with my friend circle. Like I have a really great group of friends on tour, which I love to see. Um, you know then you have that time in your room where you can read a book you can Netflix it you can do basically whatever you want because it's the only time well for someone like me who's so busy and also a mum it's the only time I actually get to myself Mm. so at the moment I'm quite that side of stuff I'm actually quite looking forward to going away because I get that time to myself I can have a bath without like bath toys being stuck in my bag <laughs> so that, that's quite exciting <laughs> There's, you know it's really nice to hear you talk um, about being a mom and you can tell how much it shaped you and how you approach your career um and I I was actually looking about how old your son is and also Serena's daughter Olympia as well you're exactly they're exactly the same age was there any inspiration or help um you know seeing Serena um, obviously also on the tour coming back from um into competition and being a mom because it was so publicized yeah I think because when she announced her pregnancy I was still trying right to get pregnant so it was kind of like a reassurance um yeah because I think she announced it in like the January and I found out I was pregnant in the May so it was really reassuring to know that someone in sort of in my position is doing the exact same thing that I want to do. So yeah, it was definitely a nice thing to hear. And actually, um, in Wimbledon in 2019, Jackson and Olympia played together in the Wimbledon preschool because they were in the like they have like a nursery. Uh, brilliant. And, and they were playing really lovely together. So it was actually really cool how that worked out. With like, I was like me and Serena were like, kind of pregnant at the same time, and then our children actually met. So it was kind of cool. <laughs> You can almost like, you know, they can go and play together and go and play tennis together while you guys are on tour. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it was actually really great to see because obviously I knew who Olympia was. But for Jackson, he was just playing with this little girl who he just loved playing with. So it was actually really lovely to see the innocence. from. They were just two kids playing from with each other from totally different backgrounds. But it was it was so nice to see. Yeah, I can imagine. And we've talked so much about so many different things, I think. But one of the things um, towards the end, normally I always ask people is what advice they would give to anyone um, that's maybe struggling at the moment? Um, I would say that, well, there's a lot you can say, but I think it's about really looking about what you want. You really have to say, okay, no matter what the situation is, you kind of need to filter out what are the things that you can change um, because there's always going to be something you can change. And and I see that a lot, um, especially, you know, people who have low income, for example, and um, they're stuck in a dead end job or whatever it is. And it's like, actually, can you change it? Can you do something to improve your situation? Because I think it, it, it goes back to that mindset, right? You have to have that mindset of, okay, I don't like where I am right now, but how do I, how do I change that? How do I be happy? How do I get more money? How do I find the love of my life? Whatever it is, it comes back to to in here. And like crappy things are always going to happen in life, always, but that's inevitable. It's actually about how you respond to those things. Mm. And what about people that specifically have social anxiety? Is there anything that, that you can help in terms of advice? Yeah, I mean, I... Um, I have always been told like oh you're so socially awkward and being in a group of people that made me really nervous um and I think it was a combination of okay is this really me like how how do I want to be like why is this happening um and again like I said like seeking the help if that's the route you want to go down but also I felt the more that I put myself in those situations where it feels uncomfortable like I'm not in my comfort zone and the better I got because I feel like to grow, you have to go out of your comfort zone. If you sit in your comfort zone all the time, you're never going to come out of it and you're never going to grow as a person. So it's hard, but little by little, like come out of that comfort zone, whether it's, okay, I'm going to meet two people today, not one, or I'm going to walk to the bus stop, you know, whatever that is for you, come out of the comfort zone. Yeah, because our natural reaction is to just avoid it. I think it's a big human, <laughs> human behaviour, I think, that we do when things are uncomfortable. It is, and I, I did it all the time. I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to go to that networking event. I'm not going to go to that party or whatever. Um, but I push myself there, and then I meet really great people and have, like, the best time. And then I've made, like, a friend for life because I've been to that event. Or or that event that you go to then leads on to, I don't know, a job opportunity, which then can improve something else. And you just don't know where those leads are going to come from. And I think the more you put yourself out there, the better you'll be equipped to deal with it. So before I let you go, I've got one more question for you. Bear with me. So are you ready for it? If your life was a film, right, what can you describe to me what the opening scene would be? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does it look like or does it feel like? um, So you know that um, section in Frozen where... (laughs) Anna is in the bed and it's like her birthday I think and her hair's like everywhere and she's like dribbling and like she's trying to get up and her sister's waking her up probably something like that because every morning I literally look like that 
And then I realized oh, I need to do something today. And then I'll like shut out of bed. And then like things are crazy. So probably something like that. That's really, that is not what I expected at all. Oh, really? That's how pretty much start every single day. That, that, that's brilliant. I was like frozen, right? Okay, where, where are we going with this? Um, I am actually going to throw one last question at you. Um, so this year... Uh, you know, you've kind of mentioned your goals a little bit, but is there anything you specifically have as your focus that you want to achieve by the end of this year? And and is that how you work out goals? Yeah, I think maybe if you would have asked me this a year ago, I would have said I want to come away with at least one more Grand Slam singles title and um, at least two medals from the Games. One of them has to be gold. Um, and although I still want those things... I think if I can get to the end of the year and I can look myself in the mirror and say I have no regrets, then that's big success for me. Because no matter what happens in Tokyo or at Wimbledon or whatever, if I can say, look, I gave it everything, I don't regret anything, then what happened was meant to happen. I just don't want to focus on if I get gold, does that define me and my worth? Because it doesn't, that's an object. So I think now it's more about having no regrets. Yeah, I love how you've just put that. Thank you so much for joining us, Jordan. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm now going to go and have a look at that scene in Frozen. Yeah, you need to, because then you'll understand. <laughs> I think that's probably how I look like as well. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you and good luck for this year as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening. There are loads more episodes to enjoy, including the likes of Dan Evans, Tom Bosworth, Ellie Simmons, and loads more. And remember to visit sportinglife.com ahead of the rest when it comes to unbiased opinion and sports analysis. And if you are really struggling, you can always reach out for help. It just takes one call. Charities such as Mind, The Samaritans, and Sport in Mind are there to help and do understand. You can also text SHOUT to 85258 if you don't want to talk on the phone as well. Take care. Thanks so much to Jordan and we'll speak again very soon. Soon.